My name is Suzanne Legrand, and this is The Shaman's Notebook. Today on The Shaman's Notebook, my guests are Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein, authors of Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Welcome. Thank you. Great being with you, Suzanne. Yes, thank you. To start with, I'm wondering if both of you can talk about this notion of luck, which is the central concept of your book, about what each of you mean by luck. Most people think of luck as something that happens by chance or hits them by lightning strike or or you're just born that way. But what we want to really make clear in the book is that you have a lot more power over your luck than you think oftentimes. And we have done a lot of interviews and also there's a lot of scientific research too that backs up what we say. But we found different eight different things that can be pathways for you to increase your luck factor in your life. And like I always tell my students, it's a lot easier to be lucky than it is to be good. So when you're talking about increasing your luck, are you saying increasing your ability to get what you want in life? Is that what you mean by luck? Yes, in in some ways. But I wanted to just piggyback on what Gay just said. For me, this book was um, a mind blower. Um, it came to me. I don't know if you know the backstory on this book, but Gay wrote the manuscript uh, in a different form in, I don't know, early in the 2000 teens, so like 2010, 2011, and sent it to me to look at. I'm an editor, author, you know, writer, and we'd written a book before. And when I heard about this concept, those two words, conscious and luck, didn't go together. Like, wait, <laughs> luck is random, and how can you intentionally do something random? So when I understood this concept that, no, in fact, luck is not always random, that that's a, a, a complete misunderstanding, a misperception, then I became very excited. And there's my, the med, meta shift that happened for me after I read Gay's manuscript and started working on this book with him was that there's a wonderful professor at the University of Stanford University. And she is a professor um, named Tina Selig. And she has this beautiful quote. And the quote is, people think of luck as an isolated and dramatic, like a lightning strike, when in fact it's more like the wind that's blowing all the time. And it's up to you to raise your sails by certain behaviors. And then we would add attitudes and, and uh, associations to harness the winds of luck. So if you just flip that on its head, luck is everywhere. It can happen to anybody. You have to just harness it with your actions. You talk about um, curses as removing unlucky programming, which suggests that luck has something to do with how we are programmed. Well, one of the most important things people need to do, and I'm my own best customer, I started doing this for myself way back was looking for where you feel in your life you have what I call upper limit problems. It's a concept I described in one of my other books, The Big Leap. The upper limit problem is a tendency to sabotage ourselves when things start going better and better. And we've worked with lots of different people over the past 50 years, but the one thing that they all had in common 
was that they were able to identify after a while what some of these upper limit problems are. And some of them are rightfully called curses because they're applied to you from other people. Like, for example, I was making the point that um, about 40% of us are unwanted at birth and about 60, uh, 60% are unplanned, I think, and uh, 63%, something like that, and about 40-some percent are unwanted. And that gets communicated to us in various ways, either non-verbally or verbally or physically sometimes. And so it's easy to see then how you might kind of pick up that curse from another person because it's something that also is applied throughout families sometimes. And so what we want people to do, and we lay out a, a very cool technology for it in the book, is how to go looking for where those limitations are and so you can remove those curses from yourself no matter how long you've carried them around. So you believe that people really can, for example, remove social, the, the message that, for example, that they have might have been unwanted and the way that that has shaped the, their lives up until that point. Yes, and here's the elegance of why people can do that. Because if you think about it, what I have them do, if, if they're standing here in my office or sitting here in my office, what I have them do is identify that it actually has nothing to do with them personally, that any other child would have been just as unwanted from the beginning as this person who's standing in my office. And that moment, I've seen the magic of that moment break out on people's faces, I don't know how many thousands of times, but I never get tired of it, because what happens and they realize, oh, that was then, that was somebody else's opinion of me. That didn't have anything to do with me personally. And the moment that separation occurs between what somebody has conferred upon you as an attitude upon you, you've accepted it maybe because you were one year old or two years old or 13 years old. But now you can actually shrug that off just like you could shrug off a big woolly overcoat that you've been wearing that you no longer want to carry around. In your book, one of the things you talk about is the legacy of shame. And that's something that a lot of people have talked about in different ways. Brene Brown is one of, of those people who has talked about the ways in which both shame in um, the family as well as carrying around shame really influence our lives in ways that some of which we know and some of which we don't know. Could either of you talk about how conscious luck can actually transform shame? Well, I'd like to start this off and then turn it over to Gay because he has a beautiful story about how this happened to him. For me, there's a really important distinction that we make in the book between shame and guilt. And guilt is when you feel bad about something you did, and shame is when you feel bad about who you are that you've sort of generalized it to uh, a, a value judgment of you as a person, and you carry that around. And one of the things that I think is really brilliant about um, Conscious Luck's approach to shame is that it's not just sort of trying to undo sort of psychological scars, and most of those were put in place by your caregivers and people who loved you to try and keep you safe. <laughs> and they were probably uh, taken on and then, went underground and become sort of on always on 
belief system that you look at the world through that's very limiting. But I think what's really cool, and this is really Gay's contribution from his many, many years of being involved with mind-body therapies and leading that charge that way, is that you can, shame also has a, a physical component. It has an energy that we hold in the body, not just a psychological component. And I think I'm going to turn it over now because Gay discovered that in a really amazing way uh, during a family situation when he was in Florida. Gay, I'm going to turn it over. Yes, well, it <laughs> happened in a such a way that it really changed my life. I was down in Florida where my mother had lived and I grew up. My brother and I were in the house and we were helping clean it out after my mother passed away in um, 1990. We were helping clean it out so we could sell it. And so I was un undoing a picture, getting a picture out of a picture frame when an envelope and a letter fell out of the back of it, stuffed in there for, well, in fact, it had been stuffed in there since 1945, I later found out because I opened it up and read it, and it was a letter from my mother's church group at the Methodist church she belonged to in Leesburg, Florida. It was uh, this beautifully written, tender-hearted letter from her church group begging her to come out of the house. And it was all about, first of all, my hair stood up on the back of my neck because I quickly realized that this letter <laughs> involved me. And what it was saying was, there's there's no need to sit in your house feeling shame. I know you felt ashamed about what happened and the way the baby was born and everything like that, but you can't just sit in your house and, and never come out again. Please come back to the group. We love you. We care for you. We'll accept you. You know, we won't shame you. And I was just, I mean, you can imagine how I was electrified in that moment because I don't think I'd really considered shame you know I, I knew a lot about my body I knew about where I felt fear in my belly and where I felt sadness in my chest and where I felt anger in my shoulders if I would get them tight when I would get angry about something but I'd never really tuned into what shame felt like and in that moment though I suddenly felt it throughout my body I guess it was a strong shocker of an experience that it just like turned on this light bulb of shame in my body and I could feel it all the way down through my legs and back of my calves and I I was really kind of stunned by the experience and I stood there for a while feeling that and then I had this idea I realized that I had opened up new territory in my body just like you know a farmer might open a window one day and see an extra 40 acres over one side that he or she had never seen before and so I had all this new territory in my body, and I didn't have to keep the field planted with shame. I could put something else in there, too, like gratitude. And when I installed in that moment, I decided to rededicate this new field of energy I felt in my body. Instead of it being about shame, I rededicated it as a field of love and luck attractor, as an attractor field for luck and love. And so... I think anybody can do that because I've since done that same process with many, many, many people where I've, whatever the feeling is, it doesn't always have to be shame, but it could be some anxiety that they're feeling or anger that they're stuck on or an old period of grief 
an old sense of grief that they can't shake off after time. And so whatever it is, though, it needs to be felt and then opened up to and accepted as it is and then rededicated to the higher purpose that you want to dedicate it to. So what you're talking about, in a way, sounds like how we could change some of our social programming. Yes. If we've been given certain messages from our caregivers, this is a way that we can begin to be conscious of those messages and also change the effect that they have on our bodies and our emotions. Is that correct? Yes, and let me add another insight to that too, Suzanne, which is many people think of it automatically, parental, parent-type programming, but I can tell you from personal experience that at least half of it comes from siblings, not from parents or grandparents. It comes from sibling relationships and sometimes friendship relationships. And so a lot of our social program gets installed horizontally, so to speak, rather than vertically from above. So the question here about changing social patterns, um, sometimes um, uh, I would say the um, self-help has been criticized for not being mindful of, for example, systems of oppression. Um, and power differentials that give one group of people privileges and deny other people access to resources. And so I'm wondering how the notion of luck that you're talking about, can that also um, in some ways, I'm sorry, let me say this again, um, can your notion of conscious luck help us to also change society as well as individuals? That's an interesting question. I, listening to it, I thought, you know, all society, you're right, there are some people who are born with privilege just based on, you know, skin color or where they live or any of those things. But the bottom line is, and our book addresses this, is that your luck is internal, that even there are many people who uh, we've talked to and that we, I've researched and in part of the positive psychology scientific literature on luck, that it has to do with really being resilient. Uh, resilience is a part of luck. So it comes down to you as a human being, an individual, regardless of your situation in, in terms of oppression as you're bringing up. I do feel that, um, of course, it's easy to say, oh, be lucky, but you can truly change your luck because I would argue that it's more important to, to feel lucky than to sort of objectively be lucky, that you can feel lucky in almost any situation. And that has to do with an internal, um, an internal direction, an internal leaning towards gratitude and not gratitude as a like spiritual bypass where you're just sort of making yourself see the good things and ignoring your own feelings but actually using what we call radical gratitude, which is looking at these things that happen to you, letting yourself have your feelings, and in the spirit of tremendously gentle inquiry, asking yourself, is there anything in here I can be grateful for? 
And just that question loosens the sort of grip of the victimhood that you'll feel and uh, will allow you to at least see something that could possibly change your situation or make you feel luckier. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about this notion of conscious luck. Millions of people are struggling economically, and there's a great deal of uncertainty about how to proceed. Do you think that conscious luck can help us see a way forward? Yes, we do, because anything we can do at a time like this to empower ourselves, to bring the locus of control closer inside ourselves, I think we're doing ourselves a big favor, not just as individuals, but as a society. And I think also if you look at the longer evolutionary picture, we've inherited a nervous system as human beings that tends to contract when we get scared. In other words, we tighten our shoulders, we suck in our bellies when we get scared, we clench our jaws, we our, tunnel, our vision becomes tunnel vision. So there's a tendency to contract when we get scared. And since there's so much fear and anxiety in the air right now, it's an ideal time to take an evolutionary step forward and learn how to expand when you're scared. So while you might tighten your belly, there are whole other parts of yourself that are deeper than any of your programming that can open up and expand and get willing to learn what you need to learn from the current situation and to find out how you can best respond to the current situation. And that will be useful to you long after any kind of situation like a pandemic wears off. The ability to expand and open yourself in wonder when you're scared, as, as well as the old evolutionary tendency to contract. We want to be like John Muir, our great naturalist who discovered Yosemite and all of that. He was camping up at Yosemite when the great earthquake of 1906 happened. And his notebook says that there was a great rumbling in the earth, and I ran out to see what I could learn. <laughs> so we want to be nice. that open to learning because there's a big rumbling. and We want to find out what we need to learn from this to expand as human beings, as an individual, as well as a culture and a community. Carol, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the concepts in the book have changed your ideas. And I know that you've written a lot about happiness. Um, can you give us some ideas about how we can be like Muir, like ready to go out and see what, <laughs> what, what the rumbling's about as opposed to hiding? Well, that's a like so perfect segue because um, when I heard about conscious luck, you know, you think about your own life. I've had wonderfully lucky things happen to me and some pretty hard luck things happen as well in my young life. And I looked back and I thought, well, what were some of the really turning points in my life that really changed my luck? And one of the ones that I write about in the book that really you could point to and say that uh, really changed everything was a moment where I overcame fear, where I actually asked for what I wanted and didn't back down. 
and it turned my life around. I had been uh, a writer, uh, editor, and I actually had never written before. I mostly just loved to do research. And my girlfriend, Marcy Shymoff, who wrote The Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul and Mother's Soul, and then she's gone on. She and I co-authored Happy for No Reason and Love for No Reason together. She asked me to do some research, and I started learning that I could write. And she, uh, we we did that book together a little bit. I was an editor, and she gave my name to someone else. He called me, and he said, would you like to do a book? Uh, I'm doing Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover's Soul, and I am a huge pet lover. So I was excited. He sent me stories. I was going to be an editor, and when I read those stories, I wanted to be a co-author, which was asking a lot. But when he called to talk to me, I just decided that I was going to summon what I call 20 seconds of insane courage <laughs> and ask for what I wanted. And I did. And he said, no. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, that's not going to happen. And that was the moment there where I just went, okay, I'm not going to do it then. I could use the money, the lower amount of money I was going to make. But I said, no, I'm not going to. And I said, you know, thank you so much. I'll send these stories back. And he said, wait, wait, wait. And that, you know, that sort of being willing to walk away and really hold out for what I wanted. And I, what I've learned since then is that there are many windows of opportunity that we don't even see because we just stay in our comfort zone. It would have been much more comfortable for me to do what he had asked, just stay in that role of editor. But I put myself out there, and man, I can tell you that those 20s, you just have to look for those windows of opportunity. They don't come around, but when they do... It's only 20 seconds that you can hurl yourself through that window before it closes. What's one thing you want people to walk away um, having learned from reading the book? Just remember that luck is a wind that's blowing all the time. And just find out what you need to do in that moment to open your sails so that you can move effortlessly. I have been talking today with Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein, who are the authors of Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is The Shaman's Notebook. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe in the link below or leave a comment. Thank you. Thank you.